Welcome to Kingdom Testimonies. This is Lisa and it is Tuesday, October 26th, 2021. We are reading through James Hudson Taylor's testimony. He was uh, a pioneer missionary of inland China. I am back at the noisy park I was at last week. One day, might have been on Tuesday. I like to come into town. Um, I'm trying to keep the schedule of coming into town Tuesday and Thursday. It's <clears throat> it's about a 40-minute drive for me. But I usually have a bunch of little errands to run and see my kids and grandkids if I can. And then it just gives me a little bit of a break away from the solitude, you know, I, I like solitude, but I don't like it that much. <clears throat> I am, of course, not married. Um, I think I mentioned that a couple of times. And there's a long story behind that. Um, and I've been thinking about it, that it might be time to give my testimony um, like a lot of you, there's more than one testimony that that describes who you are, where you are, what you are, why you are the way you are. <clears throat> and that is true in my case. My life is a series of testimonies. And, you know, it's not... It's not like, I mean, everybody has had a tough life. Everybody should write a memoir. And and I'm not being sarcastic. You know, it's, our memoirs are already written in heaven. If that's where we're going. Our book of remembrance or in the book of life. You know, everything that we've done has already been recorded. But there's there's sometimes where you read someone's testimony and it's like wow i didn't know that that happened to that person you know and then the person is like nobody cares about me nobody cares that i laid my life down for for jesus you know and now if we didn't have this book from james hudson taylor you know we a few people would know you know, maybe in his case, a bunch of people would know, but now the world can know. And what I like about the podcast is that it doesn't cost me anything in like buying a laptop or printing paper or, I mean, it's just my time and it's immediately right out there for whoever is interested, whoever stumbles across it or whoever the Lord leads to it. My story is just one of billions of stories of lives that were affected by this evil world. This is an evil world. I am of the opinion that we are prisoners here. If you are a Christian, if you are a born-again of the Holy Spirit Christian, you are a prisoner here. And God has set you free. Jesus 
and his work on the cross, his blood has set us free spiritually. Physically, we're still here. And so our soul has to work out this in-between act, you know, <clears throat> do I side with the spirit who is seated in the heavenlies? Do I try to exert my will and emotions and my mind and, you know, to get my body to just be like wanting everything that the world wants? We are not to be worldly. We, you know, yes, of course, we're going to need a car and a house, a place to live. We get dogs, we get chickens, we get, you know, maybe a big, beautiful house or, you know, whatever we get. Some of us may live under a bridge. Thank God I don't have to. You know, it's, it's whatever, whatever we get. But the end result of all of this is when you leave here, are you going to be set free from this world mindset so that you can fly away into the heavenlies? Or are you pretty much just, this is your world, this is your life, you love the earth, you love what the earth is all about, the worldly ways, the sinful ways, you know, <clears throat> you don't care if God is looking down from heaven because you're, I don't want to spend eternity with him anyway. Maybe some people think that way. You know, I guarantee some people do think that way. They're so angry at God for whatever that they think, well, why would an angry or why would a good God do this or that? And, you know, and <clears throat> they obviously don't know him. He has given us all free will so that we can make choices on whether or not we want to love this world and its sinfulness or if we want to get out of here when our get out of jail free card comes when we land on that space so <clears throat> my testimony is i think very very long and i'm not going to say well i was born and blah blah you know what i mean it's yeah there's things in my childhood that shape who i am and i think they're important and if you, the listener, don't think they're important, then fast forward. You know, I, I, that's your prerogative. You don't have to listen at all. I appreciate the ones who do. There is one person out there, and you know who you are, that faithfully listens to these testimonies. And I just appreciate you very much. You one person. That when I open up my app the next day and it says one person has listened and, and played this. And it's like, oh, praise God for that person. wonder who they are. To my knowledge, I don't know how if there's comments or if there is and I haven't responded. I really apologize. But there is a couple other people that listen and I know they do. Okay, so we're going to get back to James Hudson Taylor. But I just wanted to say, I'm tossing around the idea of, after this book, starting my testimony. I wasn't going to do that, and I have written it out. Um, <clears throat> it's I'm not getting it ready for a publisher at this point or anything like that, but I do have a lot of it written out. But 
I've been a Christian since 1985, late 1985. Um, 1990, I was born again of the Holy Spirit. So 1985, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior and repented and said, I want to follow you. 1990, I, I prayed and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then after that, you know, just started raising my kids and trying to live for God as much as I could. Um, things really started getting underway, though, about 10 years later. And then a lot happened, just a lot happened, starting in like 1996, five, six, um, and on up but in 2018 some really crazy things started happening really crazy um the lord was testing me for those first 20 years or whatever 23 years and and then things really just got crazy and from 2018 and 2019 those two years I should include 2020 because that was quite a doozy also. This year has been completely quiet, silent. Well, not completely, but not much going on like it was the previous years. So that's mainly what I want to share, but I feel like I need to give my backstory first and I don't want to bore anybody. But, um, you know, I'll try not to, I'll try to keep it short and not ramble on. And don't laugh at that. Boy, this place just got noisy. Wow. But anyway, <clears throat> I'll, I'll try to keep it, you know, to the point and things like that. So, okay, we're 10 minutes in and I'm going to get going on chapter 10. Speaking of 10. Chapter 10 of James Hudson Taylor. The vision of his life's work clinched with suffering. Times were very critical in Shanghai. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me put on the Do Not Disturb. Times were very critical in Shanghai, but as there was also so much uncertainty about political things, the missionary community continued its work the best it could. Several older missionaries went with Hudson Taylor on his third journey. They traveled as far as <clears throat> Singpu. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing these right, but mostly with Chinese uh, town names, you can do them phonetically and you're okay. But we have no record of what they did in Singpu. Not much to record probably because they had been gone only a few days when they saw from the top of a high hill the smoke of a very great fire. A fire of that size and that direction could be in only one place. Shanghai was in flames. What about their families in the foreign settlement? At once they turned back. Soon they met rebel soldiers seeking protection, but the little party could offer no help. Shortly afterwards, right before their eyes, the poor fellows were seized by government soldiers and beheaded. <clears throat> this would be the rebel soldiers. With sad hearts, our missionaries continued the journey home, seeing more and more of the awful destruction as they came nearer the city. The horror of some of the sights was more than they could look upon. But to their great relief, they found the settlement in peace. 
The government soldiers seemed too proud of their defeat and slaughter of the rebels to think about the foreigners. The native city was a mass of ruins, and the wretched people were still, who still lived were pitiful sights. But the worst was over now, and so was the winter, which had been such a suspense to all the foreigners. The city had been in a state of siege during all of those 12 months since Hudson Taylor's arrival. But there was an energetic population left, and now that peace had come, the city would soon arise out of her ruins. Other missions were preparing to purchase land and enlarge schools, hospitals, chapels, etc. But what of Dr. Parker and Hudson Taylor? Oh, they still had received neither money nor reply from the committee. They were waiting. The society seemed to forget that Dr. Parker's family had any financial needs. Along with his great longing to make Shanghai his headquarters, another line of thought, which was very different, seemed to be forming itself in the mind of Hudson Taylor. This, <clears throat> this would take him far away from the coast to regions that had never been touched by the gospel. His hands being tied with reference to programs in Shanghai, there seemed nothing for him to do but to prepare for another preaching trip. Dr. Parker was needing a change from study, and the boat was lying idle in the Su Chow Creek. Why should they not go somewhere to preach and do a great deal of medical work? A week later, all preparations were made, and off they started northwest to the town of Kai Ting. After having been surrounded by such large crowds on every preaching trip before, imagine how strange it must have seemed to Hudson Taylor when children and men and women, the young and the old, all fled from the streets in terror as the missionaries approached. No one would venture near them, but ran into houses and closed the doors, peeping out to watch after the foreigners had passed. But the missionaries were wise enough to let themselves be seen openly as much as possible, and to make it known that they were able to heal disease. I apologize for the loud train. They announced that on the morrow, they would examine cases of sickness and prescribe medicine free. This seemed to turn the feeling of fear among the people. And as they walked the streets and passed along the city walls, they heard many remark that they were doers of good deeds. Crowds began to follow, but at a distance, which they felt was safe. The next day they began early and worked hard until three o'clock, seeing all the sick they possibly could. After that, Dr. Parker went on the boat, and Mr. Taylor selected the worst cases and took them to him, having to send the rest away. Afterwards, they were invited into the very homes whose doors had been shut against them the day before, all due to ointments, pills, and powders prescribed with sympathy and prayer. When this journey was ended, Mr. Taylor with his fellow workers had distributed, during the past three months, 3,000 New Testaments and more than 7,000 other books and tracts. The accounts of these journeys were all written up for friends at home to read, which awakened great interest. But still the thousand pounds, nearly $5,000, required for land and buildings in Shanghai did not come. Nevertheless, the Lord's labors, laborers were cared for by various good gifts. One of these was a gift of $50 handed to Dr. Parker, and another was from a true friend in the homeland, Mr. Berger, who had met the Barnsley lad at the Tottenham meetings. Could Hudson Taylor have known, then, that this gift of ten ten pounds was only the first of many hundreds, yes, thousands, that were to follow in later years from the same friend, he would have been greatly overwhelmed with joy. 
But in the life of his servant, God was working out his own plan. The idea of preaching trips to places where other foreigners had never gone appealed to Hudson Taylor with such force because of the great need as well as his own inclination that his fifth journey was being planned before he had hardly returned from the fourth. It was April now, 1855, just the time of year for evangelistic work. Mr. Burden was to be his companion in labor this time. They set out for the island of Sing Sung Ming in the estuary of the Yangtze River, only 30 miles from Shanghai. Tsung Ming was but 60 miles long and less than 20 miles broad, but her people numbered a million and she had never been visited by Protestant missionaries. They found the people willing to listen and spent several encouraging days in one of the principal cities. Mr. Burden did most of the preaching while Mr. Taylor handed out literature and did a little medical work. The Mandarin, chief officer of the city, asked about them, so they went to see him rather expecting trouble, but he received them with courtesy and accepted copies of the New Testament and other books and listened attentively to the doctrine of salvation through faith in Christ. Before passing on from that city, they visited 13 schools and a college, the teachers of which were intelligent men who gave considerable information about other chief centers of the island. Following the coast of the island northward, northward, they saw many little homes standing among cypress and willow trees. But instead of the usual grave mounds, so common in other parts of China, there were simple earthenware jars scattered about, in which were deposited human bones. It was the desire of the travelers to sail entirely around the island, distributing printed matter in the chief cities along the coast, and to obtain an idea of missionary prospects in general. Instructions to this effect were given to the boatmen, but serious objections were made. They suggested all sorts of dangers which might befall them, but the most probable reason why the boatmen did not want to go was because there were opium smokers and were afraid of the price they would have to pay for opium on the east side of the island. They could not possibly do without it and live. As usual, the anchor was hauled in about daybreak, and the journey began. Hudson Taylor aroused himself and went out on deck to make sure his instructions of the previous evening were followed. He watched the compass for an hour and was convinced they were following the right course, so again he retired for two hours more sleep. By and by, when all was quiet, a thing characteristic, characteristically Chinese happened. As the boat crew had no desire to explore the east coast of the island, they veered the boat round to the north. A strong wind was then in their favor, so that very soon they had left Sung Ming Island far behind them. Later, when the missionaries awoke, they soon discovered the trick that had been played on them. It was no use to get angry and scold the men, for they would have only have enjoyed that the more, he wrote afterwards. The island we had left was already 35 miles behind us, and we should have lost a whole day trying to reach it against the wind. Soon they found themselves anchored off the coast of the little island of Tashan, which has now become united with the mainland on account of great deposits of soil and debris from the Yangtze River. Going ashore, they inquired for a conveyance by which they might visit as many places as possible. All that could be had was the heavy, awkward wheelbarrow, 
a constant squeak of which is still measured by the mile in every part of China. At the close of a long, busy day, they were thankful that the people had accepted all the books and tracts they had offered, also that they were welcomed into the capital city of the island. Before rising the next morning, the favorable tide and wind had drifted their boat far up the Yangtze to the foot of the sacred mountains, which are on both sides of the river. Their voices being rather strained through constant preaching in the open air, they decided to go mountain climbing and get a view of the land from a high elevation. Of the, of the five summits before them, the central was the highest, and on its utmost height stood a beautiful pagoda with a Buddhist temple surrounding it. The hill was a steep one, with bare rocks appearing among patches of grass and flowers. Stone steps here and there among the trees marked their pathway. Thus Mr. Taylor described the scene. Varying shades of foliage, from the deep gloomy cypress to the light graceful willow, mingled with orange, tallow, and other trees, gave a lively and interesting variety to the scene, and each turn of the path, revealing new shrines and pavilions, only increased the charm. Anything more beautiful I have never seen. The temple itself was being repaired, but that day a festival was on, and the rich and poor, educated and ignorant, all alike were present in great numbers to follow heathen superstitions in idol worship. On went the missionaries, passing shrine after shrine, idols, priests, and worshippers, breathing strong odors of incense which filled the air. As they entered halls connected with another pagoda, it was only the dim outlines of hideous idols they could see in the rear, through the smoke and flame <clears throat> of burning paper objects which had been lighted for the benefit of the dead. Satan's seat. The whole scene appeared so to these missionaries of the cross. When they had ascended the pagoda, another view lay before them, a landscape too beautiful for words to describe where nature seemed to be worshipping the, crea the Creator, whom man had refused. With hearts filled with too much emotion for speech, the two young men gazed silently. But thoughts like these occupied the mind of James Hudson Taylor. This is real China at last. What darkness, what superstition, what sin. Shanghai has many missionaries. This place has none. Tsung Ming welcomed us. So did the inland places I have visited. Why locate in Shanghai when inland places need me more? From that time on, Mr. Taylor's aim was changed. He swung free from influences that had held him and returned to his earliest conviction when first called to preach the gospel in China. Not where Christ was already named, but as it is written, they shall see to whom no tidings of him come, and they who have not heard shall understand. The following day they were determined to visit the city of Tung Chao, though they were warned that its reputation was bad. They wished at least to distribute scriptures within its walls, with prayers that the good seed sown might bring forth fruit to life eternal. Commending themselves to the care of their Heavenly Father, they gave orders to their boatmen to learn as much as possible about their fate. If they did not return, then carry the news to Shanghai quickly. The native teachers tried to persuade them not to go. The servant, who always carried their books on such occasions, started with them, but soon asked to return, having become frightened at what he had heard about the soldiers at Tung Chao.
His request was granted, of course, and about that time a respectable man in passing tried to turn the missionaries back, saying they would soon find to their sorrow what the soldiers were like. Thanking him for his advice, which they could not accept, on they went, whether for bonds, imprisonment, death, or a safe return they knew not, but they felt that by the grace of God they would not leave Tung Chow any longer without the gospel. Then the wheelbarrow man refused to go further, so another had to be found. The rough ride was anything but pleasant through the mud and rain, but the young men encouraged each other by scripture promises and hymns. As they neared the city, they prayed that they might speak the word with all boldness. As they did not wish to endanger the wheelbarrow men, these were dismissed outside the city. On they walked then, somewhat amused, as the people called out, Black devils are coming! Several soldiers were passed who seemed quiet enough, but presently a tall, powerful, half-drunken man seized Mr. Burden by the shoulder, and all at once they were surrounded by a dozen or more of his companions, and were being hurried on to the city very rapidly. Mr. Taylor's bag of books was getting very heavy, but he could not change hands. Soon he was in great perspiration, was hardly able to keep up with his soldiers. They told the soldiers to take them to the chief magistrate, but were answered very roughly, We know where to take you and what to do. The tall man who had seized Mr. Burden then left him for Mr. Taylor, who afterwards wrote, He became my principal tormentor, for I was neither so tall nor so strong as my friend, and was less able to resist him. He all but knocked me down again and again, seized me by the hair, took hold of my collar, so as almost to choke me, and grasped my arms and shoulders, making them black and blue. Had this continued much longer, I must have fainted. All but exhausted how refreshing was a resemblance of a quotation by my dear mother in one of her last letters. We speak of the realms of the blessed, that country so bright and so fair, and oft are its glories confessed, but what must it be to be there? In the meantime, Mr. Burden tried to give away a few books that were under his arm. Disputes among the soldiers proved that some wanted to take them to the Yemen, while others wished to kill them outright. Then Mr. Taylor managed to bring from his pocket his Chinese card, a large red paper bearing his name, and demanded that it should be given to the chief official of the place, after which they were treated with a little less severity. After being dragged through long, weary streets, their bodies bathed in perspiration and their tongues dry with thirst, they at last leaned against the wall in front of the Yemen. Chairs and tea were asked for, but they were told to wait. While waiting, Mr. Burden preached Jesus to the onlooking crowd that had gathered. Their cards and books had been sent in to the official, but he, being of low rank, referred them to a higher officer. The young men refused to go unless sedan chairs were brought. Finally, the soldiers consented to this. At last the prisoners were in the presence of an old Mandarin who had formerly held office in Shanghai and who knew how foreigners should be treated. He met them with every respect and courtesy and took them into a more private room away from the rabble of the people. Mr. Taylor offered him a New Testament and tracts and told him briefly what they were teaching, thus explaining their object in visiting the city. The old man ordered refreshments for them. Of these he also partook while he listened attentively. After a long stay, they were given permission to distribute the rest of their books. 
They were also provided with an escort until they were not only safely outside the city, but fully halfway back to their boats once more. Thus James Hudson Taylor's first clear sight of the untouched interior of China was clenched with suffering, which was followed immediately by his first experience of danger to life itself at the hands of those he wished to help and bless. Love first, then suffering, then a deeper love, thus only can God's work be done. End of chapter 10. Okay, well that was a that was a rough go. That's that's a shame. But I I think he knew. I think Hudson Taylor knew that it was going to be dangerous because no one else was going there for a good reason. It was dangerous. Um but had he not done that, you know, possibly someone else might have but China wouldn't be further along in the gospel as they are today. China's always been a tough place to get into. Um, I have followed the Voice of the Martyrs organization, oh man, for at least 20 years. No more than that. It was before I even moved to Arizona, so maybe 25 years or so. <clears throat> but... Um, they have always spoken of how badly persecuted they've been in China, how bad the persecution there is. And it's just, it's really bad. But this was, oh, 1850, and we're at 1920. What is that, 70 years ago? 170 years ago. What am I saying? Yeah, this guy's a hero. He's just a hero in my book. Anyway, um, would that we all could be so bold with the gospel in our comfortable little homes in the United States. Well, we'll see what the Lord has planned for the next few years. All right, I'll let you go, and we're going to pick it up again tomorrow with chapter 11. Chapter 10 was a long one, um, but we are... We are more than halfway through the book, so maybe maybe they're not quite so long after this. I don't know. All right, so I'm going to let you go, and I pray that you have a blessed day.